Hello and welcome to People Places Power with me, Nick Cull. And me, Simon Anhalt. In this podcast, we talk about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today, we're going to talk about Scotland and maybe use the subject of Scotland as a way into understanding what it's like to be a place that is looking for a slightly different role in the world, looking to be recognized at the level of of a nation state and to strike out from a federated position to being more on its own. And so maybe through Scotland, we can take a glance across a situation for Catalonia, for Quebec, for the Basque country and and some other countries in in those same places in the same situation. But to, to get us started, Simon, I believe that Scotland is, though not a Uh, nation in the same way as the other nations in the Nation Brands Index, it is one of the places that you tracked. Why was that? Why did you include it? And what did you find? Well, Scotland has been included in the Nation Brands Index for quite a few years, um, despite the fact, as you say, that it's it's not a sovereign state. And that's simply because the Scottish government have been a subscriber to the NBI for several years. We always have a few spaces in the in the list of 50 countries. For, for countries that want to pay for their own data. It's, it's very expensive running a huge international poll like this with tens of thousands of respondents. And so we, we run it as a commercial entity together with, with my partners, Ipsos. And if a country wants to subscribe, then we include them. And it's been very interesting having Scotland, particularly because, of course, it means we can compare it with the overall image of the UK as a whole year on year and see how they change. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating, really. I wish I could show you this. As you know, we measure countries' images on a model which I call the hexagon of place image. Mm-hmm. And that's based on the principle that there are six natural channels through which countries over time earn or express their international standing. And those those channels, those points of the hexagon are in no particular order exports, So a country's products and services, people get to know countries via the things they make and sell overseas. Those are, to an extent, ambassadors for the country. The second channel is governance, people's perceptions of how the country is run. As we've said before, on the whole, people don't know very much about most how most countries are, are governed apart from their own. So that's why we use the term governance rather than government, because if you ask people who's currently in power in country X or country Y, on the whole, they don't know. But they do have a sense of the sort of style of governance that the country has. And then the third point of the hexagon is culture. And we ask questions about the cultural heritage of the high culture of the country. But we also ask questions about the modern popular culture. Then we move on to people. What are your perceptions of the people of that country, whether it's the ordinary people, whether it's the ordinary people as migrants, whether it's it's the famous people, the the movie stars or the footballers. And then the penultimate point is tourism, how the country presents itself as a destination, people's perceptions of what it looks like. And finally, the sort of catch-all category, which is immigration and investment. How do you feel about going and living there, going and studying there? Would you invest in its economy and so forth? So through those six points of the hexagon, we get a pretty complete picture of how people view other countries. And you can also plot 
a country's image on a hexagon chart mm-hmm. and see what it looks like. So the, a country with the most powerful and most positive image is going to be a completely full hexagon. And the, the United Kingdom has one of the more completely full hexagons of any country on the, uh, in, in the ranking. What's Scotland's hexagon like? I bet tourism is strong. You often hear people talking about holidays in Scotland. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that um, at first glance, if you superimpose them, Scotland's hexagon looks like pretty much a slightly smaller version of the UK's hexagon. Right. It has more or less the same shape. But when you look a little bit closer, you can see some differences. The first difference is that on governance, Scotland and the UK rank equally. Now, that's because people have some quite positive ideas about Scottish governments. And at the moment, I'm talking here about the 2020 results, some quite negative views of the UK's government. Right. right. Scotland is not being blamed for the way that people perceive the the, the governance of the UK. I think that's fair. (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And then exports, Scotland is further behind the UK on perceptions of its products. People don't really associate Scotland with quality products or services to the extent that they do with the UK. Mm -hmm. And also likewise, culture. Culture is a very difficult one to compete on unless you are associated with gigantic amounts of cultural heritage like Greece or Italy or China or Mexico, you tend to rank rather lower there. Right. Scotland is appreciated for its culture, but it's not a cultural lion. So that's the picture. Very interesting. And plainly, Scotland has a lot of advantages and compared to other places. And whose reputation would be at risk if Scotland were to insert itself? Because it's, what is it, about 17 or 18 at the moment? At the moment, it's 15th, actually. 15th. So it would make it harder for the countries that want to get into the top 20 that aren't currently top 20 countries. Yeah, I mean, the image of Scotland is sort of on a level. Statistically speaking, it's got the same potency of image, the same positivity of image as New Zealand, Norway, the Netherlands, Austria and Finland. It's a little bit above Ireland, but not much. Very interesting. So Ireland, as an independent country, is not doing as well as Scotland as a sub-brand of the UK. Yeah, although we have to ask ourselves to what extent people are aware of these niceties. And the answer is not as much as people who actually live there, which is why people have often asked me over the years, would Scottish independence do anything to the image of Scotland? And my answer is usually probably no, because I don't think that that would be a news revolution for the majority of people around the world. In fact, I suspect that a great many people around the world, if Scotland became independent, would sort of say, oh, you mean it wasn't already? They'd be surprised, yes. Yeah. If you prompt them, they are aware that it's a different thing from the United Kingdom, but then People are so confused about the makeup of other nations, especially complicated ones like like the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as we've as we've said before, depending on where you go in the world, the terminology gets very muddled up. Most people mm-hmm. refer to the whole thing as England. Yes. Oh no, absolutely. President Carter was forever calling the whole country England, and it would would drive his advisors nuts. I mean, but it's funny what you were saying about Scottish exports because you know, looking back at the history of place branding and country of origin effects and so forth, 
the export of Scotch whiskey was one of the first cases to really drive international country of origin markings. The Scots wanted to be have a monopoly on Scotch whiskey, and the French wanted champagne to only come from the Champagne region. So, you know, that side of things. It's, it's interesting that Scotland isn't immediately thought of as a, a super strong export point. Yeah, in terms of perceptions of Scottish exports, it ranks 21st out of 50 in the overall table. That's still so pretty good. It's pretty good for such a small country. I mean, it's just, it shares the scores with Belgium and Russia, which which is interesting <laughs> because those are um, two countries which also only really have booze <laughs> to, to, for people to associate with them. I mean, every country on earth almost has got a booze brand that people associate it with and, and probably an airline as well. Yes. That's the default minimum. Um, you have to have a great deal more in terms of well-known branded exports with a strong country of origin for you to crawl up into the top 20. But, but what you're saying suggests to me that, that one of the points of danger for Scotland or a place in this same situation must relate to how they behave in the getting of their independence or in the development of their independence. And if they play it in an aggressive way or in a way that inconveniences the rest of the world, mm. they could lose sympathy and accumulate uh, negative attention. Yes. No, nothing is more certain in the international community than that people favour the underdog. Absolutely. I mean, that's a fact that comes up in South African history all the time, that the Boers were, were, were beloved of the world during the Boer War and then couldn't quite understand why everybody liked the ANC 70 years later. You know? But it is a law of nature. They're always Everybody roots for the underdog. Yes, and and Israel Palestine is a Absolutely. topic to which we'll return. Is another interesting question. Um, a lot of Israelis regard themselves as permanent underdogs and mm -hmm. can't quite understand why there's frequently so much international favoritism shown towards Palestine. And the answer is quite simply that Palestine finds itself in the underdog position. Yes, and how can the but how can the sons of David be seen as the Goliath? But that's right. that's the irony. And exactly. you're stuck with, you know, image becomes your reality, right? Right. So Scotland, uh, for sure, is going to, a great deal of underdog privileges are going to accrue to Scotland if independence starts to occur. I hear what you say about them causing inconvenience to others or to the international community. It's difficult to imagine exactly how that might happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the thing becomes very spiteful and difficult and noisy and belligerent, which it probably would, it almost certainly would, because uh, the United Kingdom doesn't want to let Scotland go. I doubt whether the world will pick up on that in any enormous way. That will be in the area marked domestic disputes, which people yes. by definition aren't interested. No, I must say I'm surprised by the absence of damage so far from Brexit and the mm. Brexit debate. But let me ask the question the other way around, or maybe we think of what would the rest of the United Kingdom lose? Would they drop if Scotland went? Would it weaken any aspect of Britain as a whole, or the normally United Kingdom? Right now, it's well in the top five. Would this knock Britain further back, or do we get in a situation where the good grace that put the UK in the number two or number three spot will stay with it without Scotland? Do we get two bites of the nation brand Apple with two players in the top 20? If Scotland simply leaves the United Kingdom, 
and it is nothing but a political event, I suspect Scotland will be the loser. Just to give you one of many possible examples of how that might happen, we were talking a moment ago about exports. Now, the only reason why Scotland ranks 21st is, as you said, because of whiskey and a collection of sort of niche product uh, categories like cufflinks and marmalade, basically, which is really not, a, a, you know, the occasional packet of smoked salmon. It's not something you can you can build a national image on. Scotland benefits from its association with the United Kingdom, which has a vast array of products in many, many different product areas, uh, you know, high tech and all the rest of it. Scotland detaches from the United Kingdom. It loses the benefit of that association. And mm -hmm. products is just one aspect of how that would happen. It would happen in terms of tourism because, of course, Scotland loses the association with London and, and, uh, and all the other UK cities in the UK countryside and so on and so forth. So if Scotland merely leaves, there's a referendum, it votes to leave and it leaves, then it will lose out. It may certainly gain a great deal of respect if it subsequently joins the European Union, because that's what happens to countries that join the EU. They gain an enormous premium. Of, of image as a result of becoming part of the most admired uh, block on the, on the planet. But on the other hand, if Scotland does more than just leave, if it leaves as a statement of commitment to the international community that it wants to get out from under the wing of the United Kingdom in order to be a more principled and more useful player, a gooder country for the benefit of the world, then it could actually come away with an enhanced reputation as a result of leaving the UK. But all of that is semi-fantasy, Nick. I mean, the reality of the matter is we'd normally find whenever even quite big things like that happen, most people won't notice because the UK and Scotland are in most people's minds a kind of portmanteau brand, if you like. And I think it's really, really quite unlikely that technical division of sovereignty is going to affect that because people aren't interested in, in administrative details. And that incidentally is the, one of the main reasons why the UK didn't suffer very much as a result of Brexit, because membership of the European Union is not a concept that most people find very important or very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like belonging to a trade body. Who cares? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect the facts of geography and the facts of history in most people's minds. But, but, but in practical terms, Scotland leaving the United Kingdom... I think for many Scots, there is an assumption that they would immediately be admitted or readmitted into the European Union. And I think whatever the reputational damage, that there'd be a lot of practical damage from trying to go it alone without being part of the European Union. And that may be when the referendum campaign comes to be fought, that could well be critical. And this is what gets us into parallel cases like the case in Spain, because the Spanish government has said there's no way they would allow an automatic entrance of Scotland back into the European Union, because that would imply uh, easy entry for Basques or for the Catalans at some point down the road. So uh, Spain is determined to be a spoiler on that one. And yeah. if you know that move is blocked, I think Scotland would be ill-advised to... Yes to strike out on its own. But, you know, there's two points I want to get to from that. One is the idea of virtual independence. Mm. And two is, is making Scotland or helping Scotland be a good country. And yeah. is there a way for Scotland to be a good virtual country mm -hmm. and to enhance its 
presence in the world against some few, or, or well, it doesn't even matter if it's truly independent or not, to make a better Scottish contribution to the world within the confines of the United Kingdom. Yeah. Well, I mean, here, here's the reality of the matter. The Nation Brands Index says that Scotland is the uh, 15th most admired country in the world. So it has virtual independence. So you're saying that in people's minds, it's already independent. So they, they don't need to vote. They should relax and take advantage of the perception that they have, that they're sufficiently different mm. to be appreciated in their own terms. Yes, and uh, more or less, and with all the advantages that that brings. I don't think I would quite claim that they're already perceived as independent, because if you ask people, they, a lot of people know that they're not. But it is perceived to be a country in its own right. So that's a slightly different concept. It's not, it's not a, a, a question of, of uh, political sovereignty, uh, sovereign status. But it is perceived to be culturally, historically, even uh, genetically, in a, in a sense, a country in its own right. And as a country in its own right, it benefits from the strengths of its own image. It can sell products overseas. It can gain economic advantage from that image. Uh, it can attract talented migrants. And uh, Scottish people famously do very well when they move abroad because their country of origin is a very positive one. It's uh, if, you, if you turn up at a foreign university or at a foreign comp- corporation asking for a job or a place and you say you're from Scotland, uh, there'll be a certain amount of positive prejudice towards you. So in that respect, Scotland already benefits I- enormously from a discrete image. And that also implies whatever you want it to apply when it comes to the discussions about independence. It can imply and does imply that if Scotland does decide to go it alone, it is it has sufficient critical mass in its image to stand a chance because it's already understood as a as a country in its own right it could also mean that it wouldn't make a lot of difference a negative difference to the country if it left the uk because that uh, so much of that image or is, is a portmanteau image belonging also to the united kingdom it doesn't mean it loses it if it leaves but it means that you know, the two are already bound up together in a very close way. So the concept of virtual independence is quite a, is quite a complex one. But if you compare it to, for example, the Faroe Islands, mm-hmm. a dependency of the Danish crown, which has been making, we say, subtle bids for various forms of independence for some time and hopes one day to become a sovereign state in its, in its own right. The Faroe Islands has a very weak image. Most people around the world think it's something to do with Egypt. <laughs> for real. Oh. Not wishing to show any d- disrespect for the Faroe Islands, which, as I pointed out in my new book, is one of the most extraordinary places. Yes, I know you're very fond of you're very fond of them. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the Faroe Islands is, if you like, an example of the opposite case. That's a place that doesn't have an independent image, and it would have to do an enormous amount of 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 work over a very long time before it could sail on its own in the sea of public perception. So, you know, we 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 could go on all day about perceptions and how they matter, and that is what we go on about all the time. Yeah. The 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 reality of the matter is that Scotland looks quite safe. Many of those other countries don't. Catalonia, for example, is 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 not perceived as a country in its own right, as far as I can tell, without having measured it separately. But it does rather look as if people don't think of it as a as an entity in its on its own. 
Then the same with the Basque country? Same with the Basque country. You'd have to be pretty pretty close neighbor to Spain or pretty well educated or both to be to, to know very much about what that word Basque actually means. Though this might actually be making all kinds of presumptions about the actual nature of the politics there. But let's go to the idea of virtual country as or a virtually independent country as a good country. Mm-hmm. And how is there a way that Scotland could become the goodest place? And what would they need to do to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been I've been telling the Scottish government that for for a few years now. I think that Scotland Scotland is one of a handful of countries that could, if it wanted to, make a bid for being uh, for becoming uh, the goodest country on earth. Goodest, my definition of that word, uh, just just once again, is a country that successfully harmonizes its domestic and its international responsibilities. In other words, manages to achieve the perfect balance. Between, between doing the maximum good for its own people in its own territory and at the same time the maximum good for people all over the world and the entire planet. I think that Scotland is in a remarkably good position to achieve that. And I also think, as I suggested earlier, that if it left the United Kingdom on those terms and with that intention, it could be one of the most thrilling success stories of any country in the modern age. There's a handful of other countries that perhaps have more obvious qualifications for being goodest. One thinks inevitably of Finland, perhaps New Zealand, Mm -hmm. and so forth. They're small, outward-looking countries that depend on a multilateral outlook in order to survive economically, socially, politically, Mm -hmm. and culturally. Countries that have a good record in harmonizing their domestic and their international responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And, And countries whose populations tend naturally to support an outward-looking, multilateral, and generally world-friendly worldview. But Scotland, Scotland's got a wonderful opportunity to, to really make that its raison d'être because of the independence possibility. No, and I'm, I'm certainly, you know, in, in full disclosure, I am currently located in, in Scotland visiting with family, and I've been very interested to hear how impressed my family are not indigenous to these parts with the current Scottish government and with their ideas and with their approach to domestic affairs. Of course, that doesn't translate into foreign affairs, but it does show some very admirable trends, whereas governments elsewhere in the United Kingdom are less attentive to issues like social justice, refugees, asylum seekers, and so forth. You can see in Scotland that they're paying attention could we, and, and I love the idea of Scotland as, as goodest and actually making that part of a gift to the world, you know, that, that, that Scotland intends to, not just to be for itself, but to be for, for, for everyone. Could we go back to the idea of diasporas and how you, what are the comparators for the Scottish diaspora as you, as you see it? I think one of, one of the reasons why, why Scotland does so well in in these areas, the areas we've been discussing, is because of its diaspora. Diaspora, landscape, culture, history, that, that's, the, that's the, the magic constellation for Scotland. The diaspora is interesting because the, the Scottish diaspora tends to be of a higher level than many diasporas. They tend to be, it's a little bit comparable to, to Ireland, but uh, of a, of a, at a higher level. And mm-hmm. so Scotland, like Ireland, 
for example, has an enormously positive uh, standing in the United States because mm -hmm. of ties of blood, uh, but also through the diaspora. And almost wherever you go, you will find Scots people around the world occupying high positions mm -hmm. in politics, in diplomacy, in the corporate world, in the voluntary sector. It's the genius of the Scots, as we know, to travel far and wide and to achieve great things. Oh, I, I'm so aware of it, in, you know, visiting Canada. You know, they even have their own black watch. But sometimes Canada seems like what happens when you give Scotland a continent, that they've kind of given a Scottish approach to so many things like town plans and all levels of 19th century Canadian life were very closely related to Scotland. And I think that that's still part of the makeup. Yeah. What about outside? Um, uh, how would you compare uh, Scotland to Turkey, for example? Well, in some respects, very interesting contrast, because the well-known Turkish migrants tend to be at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. People who develop uh, pandemic vaccines accepted, of course. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the majority of people around the world, if they've come across Turkish emigres, it will be at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And of course, that does create, that, that kind of mass movement of people does create a certain perception of the country that sends them out as being a country that only has less educated, less well-off people. At the other end of the spectrum, if you're Scotland and you're sending out nothing but CEOs and uh, ambassadors, then, of course, people, it's a fallacy, but people will assume that everybody in Scotland must be like that. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of work for a country like Turkey that has a large lower-level diaspora to make that work for it. It can be done, but it does. It does strike me as something that, as a, as a historian looking at this, I, it depends when you slice it. Because yeah. uh, you know, the, I, I was reading today that there was a point in the 18th century when 20% of Scottish men were serving in foreign armies overseas. So, Absolutely, Absolutely. Uh, you know, that it was it was the sort of go-to country for mercenaries at one point. No, nobody thinks of Scotland quite that way. It's sort of really now doctors and. Uh, engineers going around the world. And of course, you know, we speak of, uh, we speak of, of high-level Scottish emigres uh, today, but 100 years ago, they were helping to run the British Empire and they were slavers. Every, everybody has to confront their past as well as their present. But in our mercifully somewhat more civilised age, they do tend to be quite, quite impressive people. And that does mm. an awful for the image of their home country. They act as informal ambassadors and it does the country a great deal of good. I mean, Scotland has, has got so much going for it. I would love to see it as a country start to give, start to find ways of being able to use all of that, those good intentions, that classically Scottish humane attitude towards society. And it is, if nothing else, humane to extend that beyond its own borders. Scotland can afford to do that. It can afford to think internationally. And I think that's a tremendous vision, uh, but it would also bring a maturity to the Scottish idea of independence, to be independently helping, and maybe even a way of showing up deficiencies in the attitudes in London and mm. making a point of difference more effectively for the rest of the world than just, you know, when, when, the, when the football teams are playing. Maybe this no, is a place where you could make a real difference and show the world that there's something special here that deserves their admiration. Well, you may, you may remember me making a similar point when we were talking about Brexit, that in, in my mind, 
I always had a version of Brexit, which could have been very, very positive indeed. The UK leaving the European Union, not because it wanted to go off on its own, but because it could be more effectively multilateral outside the European Union. And the same applies to Scotland, because it can be more effective, it can do more good outside the United Kingdom. That is the recipe that works. So bottom line is, eyes on the prize, Focus on the goal line. I stand to turn into coach, <laughs> but uh, focus on the goal line. And whether you're independent, virtually independent, you can still be goodest, and that can make a, a a difference to not just your your life at home, but to the the wider world. Thanks for listening. This has been People Places Power. I'm still Nick Cole. I'm still Simon Anhold. <laughs>